You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today we talk stand-up comedy, origin stories, clickbait, and pretty much everything else under the sun with Montreal stand-up John Selig. Uh, John's got a comedy night at M Bar in the Village, uh, right underneath the M uh, Montreal Hostel. Uh, that's on Sunday nights at 8.15, 12.45, Rue Saint-André, so be sure to check it out. A lot of funny people there. Uh, he's also busting his butt right now on a crowdfunding campaign, organizing two comedy tours in Latin America. Uh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Mexico, uh, in conjunction with some nonprofits down there. Uh, the goal is to improve uh, healthcare, education, and social conditions. Uh, as John put it, the Robin Hoods of comedy. So uh, be sure to support that if you got some extra money burning a hole in your pocket. Uh, that's startsomegood.com slash comedyabroad. All the links will be in the description. So without further ado, here's the very funny, very talented Mr. John Selig. Comedy Broad produces stand-up comedy fundraisers in unique destinations for local nonprofits. So we invite expats who are living down in countries as well as visitors to the region, which acts as a really unique fundraising vehicle for local nonprofits. How do we is, you know, if we don't want to stare at someone over a phone, then why are we so inclined to sit face to face with someone? Right. And have a meeting. Is it like all the other things going around that are entertaining us? We're, we're not listening to them. And we, I don't think we tend to really look at the face in the totality. Like we don't tend to like watch other people when we're face to face with them. We're kind of like we'll make eye contact. We might wander off when we're making a point. We might notice like, oh, is that an, a new Apple Watch? Oh, okay. Or like, hey, yep. was it really windy out? Look at your hair. But I don't think we'd kind of watch it frame where like the way we would do it. I think, I don't know, it's a theory. Well, I'm able to focus on you because of that fish tank at four o'clock from you, which is just like, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's got like it's beautiful so blue yeah. coral and it's, I like it a lot. The green is nice. It's, it's, the, it's the colors of the Comedy Broad logo. Is it? Yeah, blue, like a nice blue and uh, kind of a light green. Yeah, no, that does make a, that does kind of pop in the Absolutely. background, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. But uh, yeah, all this to say is that uh, there is something interesting about how we keep pushing the, the these technologies to simulate or to see more of reality in a bigger, mega, more megapixels, more megapixels and more fidelity and scratch sniff and all this other technology that they're developing mm-hmm. for that real experience. I saw a thing this week. It was a wearable base harness. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> exactly, right? So it's a... What? It's, Is it like if you're a bass player, it's like... I can't even I can't even improv this one. Right, like, like what the fuck is that, right? This should actually be uh, uh, like a comedy thing. Like well, yeah. Where the, you, they just show these these random wor- these things and then you have to kind of riff on it and figure out what, what the yeah, fuck this might yeah. be. Well, that's... Uh, 
Have you ever heard of the uh, the, the stand up comedy concept um, set list? Yeah, I've seen Burris, I think, do it on a show somewhere. I mean, that's what that game is. It's like they'll okay. put some really bizarre topic on a like board, sl- slightly erotic sermon. Yeah, or like a texting during the Holocaust, and you you have to just come up with a joke and just tell a little, like get to a punchline and get ridiculous. Really <laughs> texting fast. during the Holocaust—that's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> rape kilt was another one. Rape guilt. Rape kilt. Rape kilt. Yeah, yeah interesting. So Rich Hall kind of make gold out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's just uh, you kind of just need an excuse. Uh, to go wild what, what was i saying yes the base harness so th- what it is 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 basically it looks like those humps that you can buy you know to like drink from if you're a hiker or an extreme sports person you know those like sports mm-hmm. humps and it's got like an extra strap or two you basically look like one of those extreme sports kayak hiking douche people that are so sporty all the time mm-hmm. uh, and what it actually does is it plugs into your sound whatever you're listening to and it gives you a physical sort of manifestation of the bass of a song. So oh, I did see that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to like any kind of music that has like heavy bass in it, it'll kind of... And like, and like it'll... Vibrate your torso. Yeah. And it sounds completely <laughs> idiotic until you watch people who tried it and they're like, I can't explain why this is cool. This should not be cool. Okay. This sounds totally gimmicky and freaking stupid. <laughs> but something... There's happening. an experience happening. Something's going on here. Like, I'm getting a straight to the heart kind of like chest bump every time like the bass kicks in and somehow this music is now more insane than it used to be. So we were clearly constantly pushing technology to give us this feedback that we get from organic, uh, you know, human experience. But then... We don't want to see each other on FaceTime that much. <laughs> we keep no. scaling back, right? We go back yeah. to LPs. I mean, LPs. Did you have you passed near a H H and M? Not H and M. HMV. HMV. Uh, uh, I have. It? Yeah. I can see them selling some good LPs at H. There's a whole some section Swedish, now. Some Swedish bands from the '70s at H and M. Yeah, but it's it's more than like niche now. It's literally it's on. You know what's selling because it's on the main floor. Right. The rest is shoved downstairs or upstairs. CDs go downstairs Ew. with classic rock from the 70s. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac rumors sold 80 billion copies. Yeah. Bottom floor Basement. CD. Exactly. Next to the bathroom. Yeah. But uh, LPs and record players are apparently selling because people are, it's on the main floors. Like a quarter of the floor space is just LPs. Yeah, for sure. Well, everything else is downloadable. You can't download the, the vinyl experience. Right. 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 That's Kind of came back with a bit of a hipster thing. I think that's what it is. I think it's entirely a hipster thing. Is it really? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that (laughs) hipsters did bring this back because they wanted to describe um, a sound experience that the rest of us just couldn't possibly fathom by listening to MP3s or CDs. No. Yeah, I was was trying to write a joke around that the other day (laughs) about like uh, imagining myself 50 years down from now or 30 years from now and uh, and what hipsters are going to sound like. (laughs) But like yeah, I'm taking a, a handwriting workshop. It's very, it's, it's very, very vintage. Very, it's very old. Yeah, they they let you use your hands and like I'm working on the callus. It's coming along. You know, like basically being completely enamored with some completely like regular shit for us. Right. I'm, I'm an advanced cursive. <laughs> exactly. I'm advanced cursive. But uh, I mean, you wouldn't understand. You'd have to try it because. Uh, it's it's the whole experience of touching the paper, you know. It's uh, cathartic, like T- tactile, <laughs> tactile. Yeah, hashtag. <laughs> if those are still around, I'm I'm excited for the day where I, I feel that hipster prototype that you just described yeah. has sort of been phased out over the last couple of years. Mm. I'm excited in 30 years when retro hipsters from the mid 2000s uh-huh. come back. <laughs> like someone's like trying to be, you know. 
um, nostalgic about everything. Nostalgia disappears, but now then it becomes nostalgic to become nostalgic right. and, and go retro, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, plaid. there are those, of course, those, those people who believe that it's always just a re-manifestation of the same concept, right? These are like the beatniks again. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the hippies again, or these are the 80s, like, um, like not yuppies, but like the glam slash goth slash new wave people like it's always just mm. sort of a an expression of ridiculousness where it's like it's fuck you dad but it's also i'm gonna subvert everything and uh, oh you hated your high school picture well i'm gonna purposefully look like your high school picture and be cooler than you somehow mm. even though like that's what's hilarious and i realize now because when i was a kid i remember the 70s came back somewhere in the early 90s i don't know if you remember this but we had like uh, people wearing tie dye again, and um, uh, platform shoes were huge. And right. suddenly, everybody was really into like uh, whitewashed jeans. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying what to remember the movie Stonewash. What was it? Stonewash. I don't know. What am I thinking of? That's a very white one? mid to late eighties. It's more of a yeah. yeah. Oh, but some of that seventies stuff yeah. came back. <laughs> I definitely remember that seventy show. Right, like that right. style was kind of was in again. Hmm. And I remember it came back early. Right. I remember, I remember someone's dad laugh like laughing at that and being like, who had, who had actually been there during the seventies and like this is so comical, so I feel like I'm going through that right now with the nineties like when I see people trying to dress ironically like nineties kids hmm. with the bowl cuts and the, like <laughs> Harry Potter glasses with the flip up like shades. Combat boots and shit but, like that. But nobody who grew up in the 90s really wants the 90s to come back. Nobody. It's, it's the decade that we are really glad to see gone. Right. Like all kinds. So many bad Zubaz pants, flat top haircuts. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't even. I, I, it, I've wiped all these awful fashions um, from my memory. And I, I have Hard no plans to ever, right, yeah. to ever revisit them. But yeah. I, I submit to you that that's precisely why young kids are kind of going for it. Mm. It's kind of a uh, trying to act like you're a grown up before you're grown up but also kind of subverting something like oh dad hates it this is awesome but this is why society's in a free fall (laughs) because the 90s is back like (laughs) it's true it's true it's 90s with still an 80s feel right like reagan slash uh different world 90s it's i don't know i don't even know what the fuck's going on fuck you dad i'm gonna do your childhood better than you did sort of thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) i'm gonna rock this look better than you did right Right, and I'm gonna just remix all the s- classic t- songs that you you listen to when you're a kid, but into shitty electronic music, <laughs> and uh, badly sing over it or auto tune over it, and then you kind of just have to deal with it because this is the new, this is the future. I ended up randomly at at some bar, like this campus bar that I hadn't been to since I was in in school. Okay, it's basically like twenty years back. This is the not the Cirque, but the. This was a, a cock and bull. Cock and bull, oh yeah, okay. oh, yeah. cock and bull. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been there since then. And then <laughs> I go back, or since the early two thousands or something, and I go back, and it's still the same music playing. The like same they didn't, music. Like, exactly. I don't think they bothered changing the music. They just kept it until it was cool again. But did that know. surprise you? Not really. Well, no. Yeah, that, that, no. that place looked like it hasn't changed since the day. Well, it's closed now, but it yeah. looked like it was the exact same place from the moment it opened to the moment it closed. Oh, is it closed now? I think so. Was it? Are you talking about the West Island Cockable or No, no, the one on St. Catherine. The one on St. Catherine? Yeah. Okay. Didn't like Sir Gakis buy it and shut it down and put in like a new fancy they chicken wing it... and cigarette smoking <laughs> only restaurant? Yeah, they tried to do like a sports bar thing. Something think, like that. For a while. I don't know. Oh, yeah. 
But before that, it was the dive par excellence yes, exactly. <laughs> of the area where you could at once uh, defile yourself on, on very low quality beer and run into like your physics professor um, on heroin in the bathroom. <laughs> where did you go to high school? I, you had a physics professor on heroin? I went to uh, Dawson. I went to Dawson and uh, occasionally there were professors from Dawson that uh, patronized the cock and bull, as I recall. Were, were, they, were they strung out? Uh, at least one of them was a like a old school like like fifties drunk, like okay. perpetually pickled uh, sure. teacher. Brilliant, probably that's why. Like he had to fight <laughs> off the demons, you know. But he wasn't shooting up in the cock and bull bathroom. I'm he? pretty sure there was. I seem to recall. Wait, hang on. I'm thinking. Was he high or was he trying to sell me drugs? I think he was high. <laughs> I think he was high. Okay, yeah. but this uh, now I'm thinking about it, and I think it might have been a teacher's assistant, which makes more sense because that's basically sense. another student. You've been slandering yeah. physics teachers <laughs> for the last thirty seconds. You should take all of this back. They're, they're well-intentioned people. Most physics teachers. My show, <laughs> except the one who gave me a twenty-four in, in Vanier College. Yeah, so, whoever. Yeah. Who what was his name? Oh God, do you remember? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a. I've tried to repress all those memories. <laughs> this has been a theme on our show where we we sometimes come back to these memories. How we're like, why does everybody remember these particular things? Like they seem to at the very. If they remember the kid that picked on them in school. They'll remember at least their first name. I don't know. Does that even work for you? Or yeah, are we yeah yeah. So Richard's people. usually the the bully. Oh, you're the bully. Show. Yeah, <laughs> he just talks over everybody and yeah, that's, right. that's exactly what I do. You were not a very threatening bully. <laughs> no. You're pretty terrible at being threatening. Actually, so did yeah. you did you confront your bully? Because that's a, also we always ask like, did you have the showdown? Did it never culminate? It happened actually uh, maybe a month and a half ago at our high school reunion. Uh, this was actually our third higher school reunion uh, since we graduated, and uh, I went up to him, and we're we're fine. Like he's, I think he knows that he was a bit of a, he wasn't a mean bully who was like out to ruin people's lives. He was someone, he wasn't bullying you because he really wanted to hurt you and show assert himself over you. He just wanted some laughs, and he the only way, and he was funny. To be quite honest, he was very funny to the point where sometimes where he was humiliating you or whoever else. You're sort of cracking up. You're like, I hate you, but that's a good one. That's a good line. <laughs> that's a yeah. You're just this is just funny. And if it, if it was someone else, I'd be laughing too. Would be would it be a stretch to to theorize as to the what effect this had on you, being that you you kind of went into comedy later in life? Unpaid therapy. All right, uh, I see what's <laughs> happening here. I think I, I think to be honest with you, like a lot of people who have done comedy have been underdogs at some point in their life. You know, I that's, agree. That's kind of where we get the a little bit of self deprecation. It's where we know how to uh, shield ourselves when things aren't going very well, and how to get into a, a bit of a defensive mode on stage. Not not in a, a negative way towards the audience, but just we know how to deal with it. We know how to deal with a little adversity because we, we've dealt with it. Um, but I saw this guy at my high school reunion. And we were talking about another character in our grade uh, who was sort of a a behind-the-scenes instigator. He was sort of a computer programmer. And this other guy uh, who I mentioned, he was was like a robot. And the other guy would be programming him, whispering things in his ears, telling him certain mean things to do that would evoke a reaction with the rest of the class. (laughs) And that other guy who was the programmer, he was a quote-unquote friend of mine. So he would get this bully guy to just pick on people, but give him all the creative ideas. Whereas mm. uh, the bully was really just an actor who was just looking. He was he was on. He just wanted a stage, and he it's wanted like to be a out Sith there. Lord relationship. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. And at our high school reunion, at our high school reunion, 
he said to me, oh, that guy was funny. I said, no, he wasn't funny. He was evil. And I said to him, you were pretty, you know, hard on a lot of us uh, trying to get some attention for yourself, but I never felt you were evil. So I felt that other guy was evil. Like the mastermind. He, yeah, exactly. You were just following orders. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, at a Jewish school, no less. So. Jewish school, no yeah. less. Yeah, I was just following orders. Yeah, that's a sitcom episode yeah. if I've ever seen one. Yeah, seriously. Jews, Jewish kids can be bullies too. I mean, get picked on also. So you went things. to Jewish school. I went to not a religious school, but a but a Jew school. Yeah. Okay. How yeah. is it different? Uh, we have. This is the, this is like a big crux that a lot of people don't understand. There, there's. Jewish religion, there's Jewish culture. The school I went to, the school system I was in for 11 years, it's all cultural Judaism. It's all about our history, our traditions, languages. No prayer whatsoever, no religion. No, you must do this or else this will happen. That There's no consequences. To and is it like European Jew? Is it Moroccan? Is yeah, it- we're very Ashkenazi, which is Eastern European for the lay person out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much founded in East European culture, and tradition and language. It was sort of born, this is the most boring topic of all time. No, not at all. It was born out of the the Eastern European uh, Jewish labor movement. Okay. That's kind of the, the people who founded this type of schooling and the school system. And it was very secular education um, to Jews. But of course, everybody on the outside, like, oh, they go to a Jewish school. Yeah, they must they be, yeah. you know, praying all day long and stuff there was no prayer in 11 years right yeah, yeah i, I kind of experienced that with uh when i when i came to canada like over 30 some odd years ago and uh my mother wanted me to preserve our hungarian side of our family like our culture and there was the only way to do that was to send me to a sunday school uh in hungarian now the only place to get that is at the the united church right because that's where the hungarians they're like staunch catholics so they congregate around churches whenever you, you know, just like Chinatown, you'll find the Chinese. Hungarian church is where you'll find the Hungarians. You're, you're summing up eth- all, eth- all ethnic cultures Most in Montreal. Ethnic they culture. all keep to themselves, or they yeah. used to anyway. Or they, they congregated around the church or whatever, yeah. So it was a religious school, but we didn't read from the Bible. We just practiced Hungarian grammar and vocabulary and stuff. So it was, I guess I'm trying to relate to what you're saying. Right. right. I don't know if I'm doing so successfully. So you Why made, don't you tell this to us all in Hungarian? Oh, I right. hear it's the most complicated language on the planet. It's fairly, it's fairly complex, so um, I'm not going to attempt that. But uh, I, can, I could probably do it, but I would sound really formal. That's the interesting thing about Hungarian, is if you don't practice it, the first thing to go is your slang. Like with many languages, but really your whole slang and kind of relaxed, informal way of speaking disappears. And you end up sounding really correct, but you sound like like a robot because you have all this really precisely. You're saying exactly what you mean. The slang is all I remember from Hebrew and Yiddish. We we, we can tell each other to go fuck themselves, but we can't ask for a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. No. So okay, so finally, you kind of that's interesting. I think that's the first time we've had someone who had to who had to um, who got the chance to kind of like not make amends, but like make their peace with their high school bully. Hmm. Not many people catch up to them. In but the I think when you go history. to st- when you go to a school like mine, where everyone, um, you know, like every- we're like a big family at the end of the day. We we had like our bully, you know, it doesn't even compare to the worst bullies probably that have traumatized kids forever. Like <laughs> okay. like when you when, when I tell you that my bully, he scarred me a little bit, but at the same time he made me laugh, and he was kind of doing that to a lot of people. 
He's just a kid looking for attention. He right. wasn't. He wasn't really someone who was out to to wreck your he, life. He wasn't trying right. to impale you on the school fence or whatever. <laughs> no, <laughs> or no. do something horrific to no, you. No, no. Just he just want. He just wanted. He just wanted a little attention. He so. wanted to make the class laugh. And mm. and today uh, I'm the guy getting up on stage, telling jokes, making strangers laugh. And he's, you know. Yeah, no. that's interesting. <laughs> Again, yeah, I totally gave you some life free therapy there. <laughs> you did. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that. if if that's not it, then where where does it begin for you with your fascination with comedy? Like where do you Oh, okay. Uh I always like comedy. Uh it's such a, like what else is there to say? It's just something I was drawn to. I was never someone who watched watched a lot of sitcoms as a kid. I never watched hour long programs. I never watched predictable movies that the rest of the world says to me, You've never seen Top Gun or Indiana Jones movies. Like, I've never watched these movies. You have no patience for it? I've never watched a James Bond movie in my life because from a very young age, you, everyone who's listening to this podcast and I'm just going to go click, this guy's boring. Um, <laughs> because, because the reality is from a young age, I just knew how all the movies ended. And that bothered you that you, you could figure it out? Like, so you, you kind of craved like a puzzle? A little bit. I either want to laugh or I wanted to, to be surprised. One of the two. I don't want to. I'm not saying I've never watched a. I've never watched a predictable movie in my life. I've watched all Star Wars movies. Right. But that, that's something you get hooked on when you're three and you're six. And there's you a know? pomp and circumstance to it too. You're like kind of taking in the decor and taking in all the the pizzazz and all that stuff, right? But as far as like, yeah, James Bond, I think is as as typical as it gets for like. I know where this is going, right? Yeah. He's going to get the chick. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be beat up at some point or thrown right. in a tank of sharks. And then he's going to climb out, say some cool British shit, and then kick everyone's ass. <laughs> that's essentially the template, right? right. Okay. So You've what, ruined all those movies for me. <laughs> sorry, guys. That's the spoiler, spoiler for every about, single James Bond movie. I was thinking about watching a bunch of them this weekend, and you just ruined my entire weekend. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like that's probably why they keep making them, because some people love that formula. Mm -hmm. They like that good old feeling like, I know this is going to happen. Here it comes. That's right. Any minute now. Like a yep. cozy blanket. <laughs> Again, uh, observation. Do you, are you observational in your humor? Are Absolutely. You, yeah. 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 That's, yeah. That's primarily what I am. And now, uh, moving to like a little storytelling, uh, trying to get descriptive with some weird events and circumstances mm -hmm. and people that I bumped into, and uh, that's actually turning out to be a lot of fun. But traditionally, I'm, I'm pretty observational. I, I read something in the paper, and that's just weird. You know that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, that um, definitely is where. I mean, like I've only started scratching the surface on comedy i've only been up a few times trying to go up again but that seems to be what's coming to me first i don't know if that's that's something that everybody goes through like that's just a natural source of information or bits um or if some people just go right into they really know i guess it's like everything else in life some people just know that they're going to go up there with a bag of props and that's what they want to do right <laughs> or they want to read their weird we saw this guy the other day he um he had these uh, these slips, these pink slips or something. These it was like the thin like carbon paper. Carbon paper that yeah. that I think he submitted. They were like suggestion box suggest that, that submitted no in idea. prison. He he submitted these in prison. Was he actually in prison or was this his bed? He's been in prison. Oh, good. I want to see this guy now. This is a fresh. <laughs> this is a fresh new face on the Montreal comedy yeah. scene that I need to go check out. He was very, very peculiar, but what he made up in in what maybe like was left field. Uh, he certainly was original. I'll give him that. Like I have never heard someone go so prison. I'm like oh, and it was none of the classic like. Um, um, sort of cliches about prison it was literally this guy's like hey, hey i went to jail and here's what happened and so where was i going with this 
Yeah, some people seem to just know right away that they want to do the specific thing. I don't know. You've seen new comedians, right? You run your own show. Is it a pattern? People coming up and starting with observational? Or is there any no. pattern? No, no, I would not say that at all. I think you and I are dating ourselves by talking about the observational style. I think it's still great, but uh, everyone wants to be Louis C.K. and be raw and real and tell stories. Like, mm -hmm. this is what everyone wants to do now. Um, and I, I think people need to do a little more observational humor because it shows how you interpret the world a little bit. That's just my take, and that's I, I like it all. To be honest, I don't have like you should do this or you should no, do that. No. I, I couldn't care, and I'm trying to personally do a bunch of different things. I don't want to do any one particular type of comedy because after a while, observational stuff for me, um, I, I I see myself developing formulaic little bits. Um, I don't want to give. I don't want to ruin my entire act. For everyone, they'll start like poking holes. He's right. He is pretty predictable. I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to wait, give away the secret to the sauce. I yeah, I exactly. It. But there's I feel a bit of that. Exactly. I feel like there's little little patterns. Yeah, and how you how I how I write my bits, and uh, that's why I like storytelling because I'm getting away from that a little bit. Okay. Um, but I've have two stories that I tell, and they both follow that a similar type of pattern, which is which is okay. I mean, it's got to end big. It's got to start big. And you got to hold their attention in the middle. But did did you know these stories were funny right away or they occurred to you afterwards? Did someone go, hey, you know that shit you told me the other day was hilarious? And you were like, oh, yeah, was it? Yeah, because that sometimes happens, right? Or did you know instantly? I knew instantly one of the one of the bits that took me a good kind of eight, nine months to sit down and just say, this is great. I got to work. Like I knew it um, when it happened at the time. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard. I tell, I tell a story about how um, I was in a bar in Costa Rica. And uh, a guy comes up to me and he hands me a business card. Um, I think I you've heard this, this rings a bell, yeah. And it, it says in the card he's a fan repair and maintenance man. <laughs> right. And the name of the, this guy's business is is Blomart. <laughs> and he's he's kind of like a late fifties American dude. He's creepy, and I just got that. And it's got literally on the business card, it says Blomart fan repair and maintenance. It says right underneath that we want customers, not victims. What and then, the fuck does that mean? Exactly. Well, I can imagine what it means. And um, the best part about it was he had a skullet with long, really long gray hair to the middle of his back, and his face, his angry kind of shitty face, was uh, inside a cloud, and the clouds. Um, oh wait, waves, this is on the card. Okay. Yes, the, the 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 clouds waves like the way we draw the clouds represented his hair, and he was blowing like. And it has angry face blowing oh. in a cartoon. And I'm just like, this is the scariest business card I've ever seen in my life. And I just knew this was hilarious. Yeah, but because it's, it's legit crazy. Exactly. It's just like, like this guy's selling drugs, handing out a... Only in like a bar in Costa Rica can a drug dealer walk around with like like a pun and an alibi on a business card and have a thriving business. Yeah. Um, somehow he's still American and cool or something. I don't know. Yeah, he knows. What he's getting by on. Exactly. So that was one instance. And that took nine months to sort of simmer in the brain. Uh, the other one happened recently uh, where I was on Tinder and um, a girl uh, basically just told me, I like you, you sound great, but I don't like that you're Jewish. <laughs> and then she started to go off on the Jews quite a bit, and it was wow. pretty ugly. And uh, I kind of wanted to to really go deeper with her. I was trying to understand, 
And just the, the shit that was, she was saying, I'm just like, she's writing my material for me. She's she's just doing it for me. Like and I'm, Zionist conspiracies and shit like that? Like that? Uh, not not quite that. Uh, that's but to, Jewish men are like this? No, we're always whining about the Holocaust in those movies we make. And uh, <laughs> wow. you guys, you guys, you aren't the, you guys aren't the only victims of genocide, but you are the only ones who had the nerve to go ask for your stuff back after it was over. And I said to her, you Jesus, know, they, that's a bit. Well, it is, it is right now. And it's actually becoming like my strongest thing. And she, <laughs> she literally says to me, um, she, she says, uh, see, that's why nobody likes you. I said, they killed five out of six European Jews. Like, I think, that wasn't such an unreasonable thing to try and get our shit back that they stole from us. She goes, see, that's why nobody likes you people. Oh, God. Because you only think about yourselves. That's so specific. <laughs> yeah. When, I, when, I, when I'm faced with that kind of... we're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> my, I... my punchline is uh, it's a little more twisted than that, but yeah. <laughs> but it's along those lines. She's the word. Yeah. But I don't know if how you react, Richard, but when, I, when I'm faced with that kind of naked, like elaborate uh, discrimination... When it's that elaborate and naked, I'm like fascinated by it. I'm like, mm. where is this coming from? Did you read some sort of book? Did someone just give you this book and you've kind of been writing this thing for, for however long? Right. Did you have a really insistent parent that had this issue and just like fed you this crap for your whole like childhood? Or like, What's the source material that led you to this conclusion? <laughs> I mean, the best case scenario is in terms of like respect for their intelligence is that their parents filled their head with this shit. Cause that it, while not forgivable is understandable. Like, but if this was the last the book age. they read, <laughs> that's a severe case of like, you're, you, you are gullible as fuck. Right. Or she just really resented all the fart jokes in Blazing Saddles. Like, that might be it. That's why she hates the Jews. She's a failed actress, maybe? No, possibly. She said, uh, I don't want to say what country she's from, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I told her at one point, like, well, go invent your own Hollywood, make your own movies. And uh, <laughs> Might as well. And I don't want to say what country she's from. But if she were to do that, all her movies would involve communism, alcoholism, and vampires. <laughs> okay. That could be anywhere in Europe. <laughs> any any West Eastern, Eastern, Europe Eastern country, to yeah. Middle East. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good luck with that. And uh, you probably, uh, you really like Underworld. <laughs> the Underworld series. Do you have a favorite type of comedy, by the way? Or... I don't think I do. Is there, no. You ever no, no. noticed whether there's a style that you like? You ever notice? No. You ever notice? What's the deal with <laughs> Benny Hill? You like the Benny Hill? You like the? I love Benny Hill as a kid. British dudes and hot girls running around in little short shorts. I never got that. I never no, me did. neither. No. Well, Benny Hill. That's the thing about Benny Hill. That's weird. He's kind of like the Brad Pitt of comedy, and I'll see, I'll say what I mean. <laughs> because of all the hotness, you ignore the talent. You didn't look at the talent because you were too busy looking at how the at the at the looks, right? Hmm. And so Benny Hill kind of double padded his show with a bunch of like half naked chicks uh, dancing to uh, disco music. But if you watch the sketches, they're brilliant. And I'm starting to catch comics now, without of course calling them out, stealing his shit wholesale because they think no one else watched Benny Hill. You've mm. put a lot of thought into where Benny on Benny the mad the madness that is Benny Hill. He and, was like, the brilliant, brilliant, yeah, yeah. brilliant. His the social commentary and his stuff was out of control, but people don't remember. He had these simple little bits like. Uh, the guy at the restaurant orders the wine. He poo-poo's the wine that they bring him. Guy goes out in the alleyway and like just switches the label, comes back, and the guy loves it, right? 
Like it seems like a simple gag, but he it was such a brilliant like there was always something to it. He'd always end his show, if I remember correctly, with pissing off everybody and they would chase him like and sped up. You know, like they'd always chase him. And the only one I recall for some reason is he had this routine with a snuff box where he kept like inhaling snuff. It would make him sneeze and it would like knock down buildings and then people would get upset and the line of people chasing him would just get longer. (laughs) Uh, Interspersed with these elaborate, bizarre 70s, 80s disco uh, like girls like you know rotating their, like throwing their legs in the air and shaking their boobs and stuff but um, he would also have this super intellectual stuff which recently I think I saw what's his name the French Canadian comedian um, Marc Labrèche completely rip off and he's old enough and I know that's that's where he fucking got it mm. uh, it's a routine where he's doing a play so the original sketch is Benny Hill's doing a play and there's like a couch on the stage and uh, he walks onto the set in like a leather jacket with leather pants. And the show is badly mic'd. And like he creaks so much that you can't hear his lines. And then he sits down on the leather couch. <laughs> and now it's just like, it's just creaking leather. Like just, and like you cannot make out a single word that he's fucking saying, right? And it's brilliant. It's just so fucking funny. And like Mark Labrest just straight up lifted that shit. And and did it like the other so day. So Mark Labresh, if you're listening to this, we know where you get all your material exactly. from. Exactly, yeah. and that you're a dickhead. I know for a fact he's a dickhead, <laughs> and I'm calling dude. him out. <laughs> goodbye, Franco Market. <laughs> to be clear, goodbye, money. <laughs> exactly, goodbye, money. But uh, yeah, no, I. This episode I, I, is called "Fuck You, Mark Labresh." <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Hey, Mark, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I'm not part of this. Exactly. All oh, the views of this show are. Now it's usually like the reverse like yeah. uh, please note that the views of our guests are not the views of the network now it's like <laughs> please note that the network's views are not that of the guests <laughs> but uh, yeah a huge fan of Benny Hill I think he made a huge contribution that people don't uh, don't understand you know Stuart Lee I do. I haven't delved really deep. I was watching one of his Netflix specials yeah. recently, and I'm like, this is brilliant. He's a genius. I'm He's like, a- this is brilliant, but I felt he was so brilliant that I needed to take a break from it yes. and not come back to it because... He laces you, like, relentlessly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was No, it was great. Uh, it needs a second, uh, and in my case, a third watching because you have to... Levels. Un- There's different levels. You have levels to unpack. To roll, yeah. yeah. And as you start to unpack his thing, you start to see that this guy is like... Uh, I don't. Th- I think he's too much for the U.S. I don't think he's, oh, he's too, too intelligent. Way too dense, but he's. Uh, I love that stuff. I don't know. I love it. Uh, but you were asking me, and I, I want to come back to this because yeah, I felt it. it. It was important. You asked me where did I come to comedy, so I watched all these sitcoms, and then when other kids were kind of going to bars, uh, when we were like sixteen, mm-hmm. I was uh, the only bar that I went to was a new place that I was told about called Ooh. the Comedy Works. Right. I didn't even drink at the time and um, would go in there and like I didn't really know why I was going because my friend said let's go to the comedy works like that's a thing to do did my voice just crack as I said that (laughs) it's like I'm 16 again (laughs) didn't go through puberty till then Um, I went with them and I didn't even drink at the time and I'd I'd watch stand up on on Carson again I'm dating myself 
Uh, but I would, I was like, okay, let's check this out. And the guys back then, there weren't a ton of comics in Montreal like there are today. There weren't a lot of people. Are there a lot? Like, that's for a fact. You know this for a fact. Are there, there's a, are there like too many? Is there a shit ton? Oh, that's a complicated question. Okay. Um, All right. We'll go get back to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there just weren't that many people going in front of audiences. There weren't places to, there weren't independent rooms to work on your trade. There weren't, or craft, there weren't open mics. Uh, from my understanding, anyway, and uh, to me, this was just watching like magicians get up there, and like I thought they're just talking to you and they're telling you jokes. And there were there were some guys like uh, there was a guy named Sean Keen back in the day, and this guy was so far ahead of his time. And this is again, you're 16, and like you you haven't seen anyone like this since. He would come in looking like he was in the trench coat mafia. He was wearing dark sunglasses, slick back hair. Uh, like I said, like a trench coat. Hmm. And he'd come on stage and he'd just be chewing gum and he'd go, somebody left their gum in the urinal. And like, and he had great one-liners. He had really great one-liners. He had his own theme song with um, kind of like a 40s style uh, with, with a crooner going, yes, Sean Keen is here tonight. And girls in the background go, Sean Keen, Sean Keen is here tonight. I can't, I can't sing now, period. Uh, in general, I can't sing, but like I can't Dick, sing like a Dick Tracy's theme song. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> and and he he just he had his own theme song. Like, what comedian in Montreal or even Toronto or even New York has their own theme song today? Right. And he he was a really brilliant guy. So we were sort of spoiled watching this guy. We go back week after week, and he was there, and he would just kill us every like time. Like he could not bite this guy's thing because he's just such an original like character, right? Totally, totally uh, broke the mold. Sam Kinison type. I mean, he's certainly not Sam Kinison, but but but. And I, I know. <laughs> I know. The thing with Sam Kinison, he's just so in your face. Sean Keen was not in your face. He was just so so good. Okay, but that's the best way to put. It. He wrote really good, clever, funny jokes. That's what they were. They were jokes delivered in this character. There was nothing personal about it. There was nothing real about it. Just jokes that made you laugh, and that was the style back then. Mm-hmm. Back then. And at that point, you were like this is kind of cool or is that because you told that story because it had an effect on you or just that was like like really where I got exposed to what stand-up was and you sort of fall in love with it but then you turn 18 or 19 your friends stop going and you're, you're not running back there by yourself or you, you lose sort of some interest I was a kid who always went through phases and stuff and I never went to watch a lot of stand-up until I got into doing it which is sort of like a whole separate story so it's mm-hmm. uh, once I started doing it I sort of fell in love with it again um, and, and wanting to learn from people much better than me and wanting to learn from people who are much worse than me. I, I felt I learned equally from both. Do you remember your first time up, like what it was like in terms of like the nerves? Or uh, I did it like as part of a graduation class um, of people who took a stand-up comedy class. Like I, I took this class thinking it was a comedy writing class and I thought I was going to meet some people and do cool YouTube videos and stuff like that. Like I always wanted to write sketch and do silly stuff and mm-hmm. be... So I, I always kind of wanted to be like the... The writer and collaborate with a few people and come up with some funny things to to eventually produce into a film, and I didn't know it was a stand up comedy class. And um, the, the 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 teacher um, basically says, after these ten weeks, you're going to go up and do five minutes of stand up comedy for your friends and family, and that's your graduation. That's like your your final exam. I said, I'm not doing that. Like I don't care. <laughs> um, I'm not here to do that. I didn't know that's what this this was all about. But after six weeks of kind of getting up there and testing your material, like I've not someone who's ever been that scared to get up in front of people. I, I, I was in sales quite a bit. Yeah, it's Making. interesting. That's a, that's a pattern. Te- yeah. Teach education and sales or any sort of thing that asks you when you have to ask for uh, 
the other person's patience or communicate an idea to them it may and you kind of taking up your time their time and you, it needs to be worth it like i don't know if that works those angles but it feels like there's a pattern there. yeah probably listen I, i worked at a big u.s software company and i was in this role as an inside sales rep where you're you're quote unquote trying to close deals but you have so little control over it Just, it's just the nature of the beast. Some outside rep kind of really has the control. So you have to you sound do, like you, ha- you, you were in charge, but... Sort of. You had to put your deals on the board in front of like an entire sales territory from like all of Eastern Canada with a big US VP who'd, SVP who'd come up from, I remember Rochester, New York, and he's got that big American Republican swagger. Like, <laughs> show me the money, boys. Like, where's the money? Yeah. And, Sounds uh, familiar. I, yeah, and I had to get up there and just... I had to forecast my deals, which all of which like I had zero control over and tell them what's going to close when I, I would never bet anything that I own on any of this stuff. And I had to like look at all these 40 people in the room. That's the size of the sales territory, the sales reps, the, the pre-sales people, the people who kind of know the software products really well and speak the business language to the customers. Um, I had to go up there and say very convincingly, this deal is going to come in. We're going to get 60K there. I think it's going to happen uh, in, in, in a month's time. This is the next thing that's going to happen. And then it's done. This next one is 85K. We're, we're, going to, we're going to do the demonstration. We're going, to get, uh, we're going to get the terms and conditions in front of him. We're going to negotiate a discount and then get the signature. It's done. The senior vice president of finance has to approve it. Like I had to know all this shit. Mm. And half the time, I didn't even... <clears throat> you're have, winging it. <laughs> what's that? You're winging it, essentially. Yeah, you're sort of like standing up there and just kind of trying to skate. You're putting your balls up. On yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to me, but, but and if those things don't happen, there's a ve- and, and they feel that you aren't telling the truth, and they're trying to poke holes in you and by asking you a lot of questions, that's when you're, you could be fired. Mm. That's a great uh, stand-up, like, like um, drill, like boot yeah, camp. You, yeah, you've been doing the storytelling thing for a while. But I mean, that's, that's exactly, uh, from what I've seen so far, like that's kind of exactly what the deal is. You have these people come in, they have expectations, you don't know if your stuff is going to ring true with them, you, but you got to make it sound like it's going to ring true with them and mm. it's going to happen and it's for all the marbles, right? Because <laughs> if you, you suck, then there's no buy-in at all and yeah. then you kind of have to walk away. Like lying is a very underrated art um, and they sort of make you realize you need to do that there. I wouldn't say I was... You're stretching a lot of truth and there's a little fabrication. Create Creative. You were being creative. That's that's a very good way to put it's it. It's called yeah. painting the picture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Lying isn't in fact... like I feel lying gets a bad rap because it really depends on... <laughs> Here what, we go. The context. No, but it depends on what you're lying about, right? If you're telling your kids there's a Santa Claus for like the first couple of years, you know, you're not exactly like, uh, you know... Uh, sending troops into Iraq over <laughs> false Well, false hold on, hold on. Let, let's, <laughs> let's get into this. So I was just visiting a friend in Denver. He grew up in Montreal. His father is very culturally Jewish, uh, likes to go to synagogue a couple of times a year, um, which is what a lot of Jews do. We don't pray. We don't care. We just go because that's what we do. Catholics do that too. Yeah, exactly. I think people from all religions do it. Uh, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of tradition. And my friend... Uh, your dad will kick your ass. <laughs> his father couldn't kick anyone's ass. Um, <laughs> and basically, his father came to visit him. They went to synagogue. But he's kind of like, I don't see why we need to do that. I think all this religion stuff is dumb. He says, especially like all these old traditions that like my father cares about. He says, but... And he married someone not Jewish. And they have, uh, they have two daughters. He goes to me, but Santa Claus, I think that's great. I think that's so 
cool. Santa Claus is the coolest. I'm like, you are lying to your daughters and you're going to like, you're going to destroy <laughs> them when they get to a certain age. And you're telling them there's this guy who makes presents in a factory, mm-hmm. uses these little elves, and then he delivers them all around the planet all in one night. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so confused why so many kids believe this. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't think this. they actually do. This is a theory I've developed over the last couple of years as a parent. Um, I don't think the kids ever really buy it, but they love that story. Mm-hmm. And I realize kids actually love to go around, along for rides when they're, but they're too smart. They're like, yeah, there's no fat guy coming through the chimney. We don't even have a fucking chimney. It's not happening. <laughs> I don't even know what a sled is. Like, what, what kind of sled is that? Like, it's so old timey, you know? Like, there's no way the kids are fucking buying any of this, but they love the, they love to, they, they'll come along for the ride. And I think that's what happens to adults is we let go of that sort of suspension of disbelief to a certain degree. You're a willing participant. Yeah, I think. F- if you're really like at seven, eight, like losing your goddamn mind because you found out Santa's not real, like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. It shouldn't be that much of a trauma is what I'm saying. Isn't it great to find out like, well, there was no fucking weird guy climbing down the chimney. Mom and dad bought you shit. You know? <laughs> it's the beauty of being Jewish. You never have to hear this lie. Like you our never parents are just like, you're not getting anything. That's the end of it. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're a disappointment. All right. It hurts, but it's real. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they tell you not to tell the other kids that Santa Claus was made up? No, yeah, I went to an old Jewish school. We oh, were all in on that one. That's yeah. right. <laughs> we're laughing. You all got together, went over to the other school, and be like, "Yeah, you guys are full of shit." <laughs> no, we, we were scared of them, so no, we just stayed away. <laughs> okay, so I mean, at this point, you kind of uh, um, you, you you so you took this class. You mistakenly thought it was a writing class, totally, and then you decided. You, did you realize like I like this stuff? I mean, there was a writing component to it, and it, it wasn't unfun. It was, it was, it was a challenge, and I just started to get into the challenge of it all, and it gave me uh, a little structure to my week. It had been a long time since I had ever dealt with any kind of homework, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And it was fun homework. It's like, wait, this isn't bad. Like, I'm learning something here. I'm learning how to to, to tell people. It's a craft. Yeah, exactly. Even though, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So I, I enjoyed that. And uh, why are why are I mean, this is maybe crazy, but why are Jews so good at comedy? Oh, we invented it. But why? Because just do you we, think it, it's the, oh, this is known the hardships. Yeah, totally. Like, like if we if we if we can't laugh at all that's gone on, then we're just gonna die. Like that's all there is to it. Okay. Like we 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 need to we need to make each other well. We like because I'm really suffering so much here in 2016 North America. Sure, sure, like, sure. <laughs> but in context, I get it. I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, we're 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 the wounded dog of the world. Uh, we've been just kicked so many times and mm-hmm. shot at so many times. But like you know, we get together with the other wounded dogs and we we just we kibitz about it. As yeah, we, say. we joke about. I mean, it. I've heard I've ha- I have um, uh, American uh, black friends who've said as much about their their people that the music and the the entertainment stuff and the sports and stuff like that entertainment period uh comes maybe more naturally to their them culturally because they've suffered a similar fate right mm-hmm. because they had to kind of make the best of a really shitty situation and when nothing else works you can maybe sing your troubles you can maybe you know i didn't want to go too far into speculation about the running stuff and the sports <laughs> and the fact that they might have been you know accidentally you know every uh, who was it i think bill burr was saying like every generation or every couple of years, there's a comment sports commentator that's too old, like they should have retired him, <laughs> that accidentally tries to make that point about like African Americans being physically sure. gifted because of 
the right. the being basically the weak ones dying off and during the sleep. Yeah, right, right, right. And yeah. every single time like it goes horrible. Exactly. Yeah. And every single time <laughs> it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's producers going, pull, pull. Yeah, you can see like people waving. <laughs> and it happens. And he's like how he revels in that moment when he sees the old timer about to try to make it work this time. Like, well, you know, the thing is. <laughs> It's, you know, on the it's no accident, way. really. Yeah, everyone's just like, cut, cut. So, yeah, I mean, okay. So, this kind of plays, this kind of works with the idea of being an underdog helps, or uh, you'll find a lot of underdogs in comedy. And then Jews, obviously, being an underdog. <laughs> <historic>. <laughs> wow, that just sounded so anti Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> Jews being, uh, uh, being uh, historical underdogs? Uh, no, not, not actually that, just the term Jews. And Jews. Jews and dogs used to be a thing, right? So, for example, at golf clubs, like, right. like uh, white Anglo Saxon Oh, Protestant shit, I didn't clubs, even realize. Yeah. That's okay. It used to say, uh, no Jews or dogs allowed. Right. Uh. And it's like certain, certain kind of beach clubs in the Laurentians. Like, uh-huh. You know, country here, here in, right here. Yes, no Jews or dogs. Or dogs. Oh, so when wow. you said Jews are the underdogs, I'm like, wait, <laughs> kind of, I suppose, to some. And you know they probably made some exceptions for dogs because of... The, Absolutely. You know they did, right? They can be very lovable. And, yeah. You know, they and have rich up, people love their dogs. They have an upside. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Uh, Ogilvy, right? Or Ogilvy, as I'm supposed to be saying it, right, is the, the per excellence example of the, 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 the 1% in action. If you ever poked... You have no reason to go there. Like, you and I have no nope. reason to ever step, set foot in there. Hmm. But I've done it one time just to see what it's like. And it's literally like... It's Richland where dudes just show up to go get their like seven eight hundred dollar uh polo shirts and their golden retriever just le- without a leash will just like prance behind them <laughs> and nobody bats an eye it's like it's literally like this weird little like cos like microcosm thing you know so yeah certainly i didn't uh, pick up on the doc thing but that's funny but you'll notice uh, on this whole topic of sort of underdogs and having some adversity uh, having faced adversity, lending to a sense of humor. Like, none of these dudes who, like, Donald Trump is picking for his cabinet, like, they don't look very funny. They don't really look like mm-hmm. they could crack up a room, any of these guys. It like, seems uh, like that's the almost the criteria. Yeah, like, we want you to be as unfunny as possible. And his and the supporters also take themselves a little bit too seriously. Yeah, some part of I've me... i just offended half of them. Some part Trump of me... Trump is doing stand-up, like, the whole time, and all of his, uh, all of his he talks, is. right? Yeah. Do you, think he, do you think he's self-aware about that, though? I don't know. I think, I think he, he think uh, it is not a bad theory, though, that he's picking guys. He doesn't want anyone to be funnier than him. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he's picking these fucking dead beats. I don't think it's possible. I think his personality <laughs> is what's gotten him exactly where it's gotten. I think he thinks he's funny, but not in the. As he, he's not in on the full joke. Oh, absolutely not. He's I not, think he's he, not fully self-aware. Of the guy. I, exactly. I think he thinks like people think he's funny. Like he's like funny mover and shaker type of guy that you want in the room. They don't really. He. They, I don't think he fully gets how hilarious he is. Therefore, he continues to be hilarious. Because mm. if he became aware of it, I think he'd get really depressed. Probably. If he realized what a what a what a kind of a caricature he is. Uneducated white males find it very funny. Therefore, he's like a, he's like a funny Jeff Dunham. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel. I feel like he's probably related to like. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, that's yeah, entirely yeah, yeah. possible. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, uh, that's just a whole other situation, man. Uh, man, U.S. is so screwed up right now. <laughs> yeah. It, nothing's even happened yet. Like, it had the, the, the presidency hasn't begun yet, but you can see them reeling. Like, every, nobody knows what the fuck is going on. No, for sure. It's a great television show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. It is. It really is. It is. It's, it's, it's a, it's a TV. Yep. reality TV show. All right. 
Have you uh, run into the um, like uh, PC culture stuff? Like I know a lot, like there's a lot of talk right now about how stand-up comedians are getting a lot of pushback. Like there's the Mike Ward yeah. stuff. There's it's, it's like very, it's real. It's 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 really real. And I think I don't. Here's the thing. I don't think it's. I have mixed opinions because I, I'll tell something that's alleging a little offensive and like, oh, and I'm like, no, that's the sound. That's the sound. Eh? I'm like, it's a joke. You're supposed to laugh, you idiots. But then I'm kind of like, wait, we're upset that people have empathy. Like, yeah. like, like it's comedians who are mad that that these people have empathy. <laughs> and I don't. And I'm like, why is that bad? Like, don't we want a society to have empathy? At the same time, learn how to take a fucking joke. Like, it's fine. Yeah. But it. But I do. I do appreciate that a whole generation of people does. You know, kind of feel badly for people less fortunate than them. I don't mm. think that's. I just don't. That's think a lovely that, thought. I don't know if that's true. I, I feel like that, some people just like to join the outrage train. You know, and they kind of like, oh, here's an opportunity to signal my my being a correct citizen and uh, and believing in the right things and being opposed to the wrong things. And I can't be blamed of either racism, anti-Semitism, or sexism. Or like, I feel like sometimes that's what's at work rather than virtue, oh, really? virtue signaling. Virtue signaling, as they call it. Yeah, as opposed to actual real. But I'd like, your theory is no no lesser than mine. Like that could be it. And in which case I agree. If Perfect. It's, if it's actual empathy, <laughs> then fucking bang on. I think they were trained to be empathetic. Maybe as they get older, they're so programmed that way that it becomes exactly what you're saying. I don't know, but uh, but it's sometimes a little much because, like, I don't know. Um, it just sometimes I'll write a really good, brilliant, dark joke, and they just no, we don't want that. That's just no. Make the faces and the wave your body again. That's do yeah. like that other guy. Use a prop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or just just talk. make a Trump joke quick. Yeah, exactly. Put us off and, the hook. It's frustrating. Um, Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? There? I burped, but I tried to. Got I tried it. to send it that way. I thought and you ended were, up looking like Popeye. <laughs> I thought that was your uh, your method for, for farting. Like, I no, just, no, like, no. Nicely lift up a butt cheek and just let it all out. That's kind of what he did. But I did kind of do the yeah, totally the, the fart lean, but yep. it was a burp. Uh, <laughs> I, you leaned I, over and like <laughs> burped at me. <laughs> I farted at me. This is for you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I sorry. Like I didn't want to distract because what he brought up was actually a really, really good point. That's something we've been kind of talking about here and there. How there's this like ideology, like chaos, like maelstrom going on on all levels, and of course, com- comedy being hit pretty hard with this type of stuff. I don't know. Like you said, it's real. What did you mean by that? I just I, when I so I run a, I run a, a show um, in a bar beneath a hostel. So we get travelers who are a very empathetic lot they they like seeing the world and meeting people from other cultures and learning about them so they have empathy right there and they're 20 to 27 year olds and myself I'm, I'm over 40 now so it's like i'm i come from a different time than they do i grew up with insult comics and and people love that people like from you know a certain generation don't mind sitting in the front row and getting picked on they like getting roasted uh and this crowd is too scared to they think we're going to pick on them the whole time they don't want to hear jokes about any other group. Like they want jokes like about the color blue. Like that's the only thing they're tolerant of. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, uh, but at the same time, I, I'm just seeing it. Like they don't want the danger that you remember as being kind of like part of the funny. I just think they grew up not watching other comics kind of tear people apart or um, punch down for sure. Which I don't think it's cool to punch down as a comic. It's not something unless I, you're really good. And unless you're really, really good. But it's easy to punch down. Like there was one guy in Montreal who uh, 
I should say his name because sort of like the way you said that other guy's name, but I'm, I'm not going to. But his whole bit was about like the guy at the Tim Hortons, what an idiot that guy is. And the guy at the gas station, whew, what an idiot. And the girl who serves me my breakfast at that place, was she dumb? And I'm like, you're just punching down on minimum wage people. Like that's yeah. your whole act. And I'm just, I, I couldn't believe it. Like I was just like, mm. you, you, you don't see anything better to talk about than stupid people. You're, like, you're lacking pe- pe- your pe- self-awareness. What's that? You're lacking a certain amount of self-awareness, right? Yeah, because, I mean, it just shows you're not that clever to begin with if exactly. you can't take on anyone a little bit. Because the right approach there, and I don't mean to write as to say I know better, but I'm saying if you're going to go after the Tim Hortons guy, then you d- want to do it in a way where you're making fun of maybe the actual things he's doing or you make him an unsympathetic character in the way you tell your story or minimum, you at least poke fun of yourself in the process of being sort of an idiot for eating this junk and constantly going back to bed there, even though you're getting this horrible service. You equalize it somewhere. You know, you give it like a, like a we're all kind of idiots kind of perspective. That's one one option, right? But if you're just like dogging this, some some like you know person who's hustling and just doing their nine to five in this minimum wage situation, you lose the audience pretty fast. I'm guessing, right? You're kind of just picking on someone. Depends who your audience is, because some of them like don't mind that. Really? Yeah, I've seen I mean, that. Yeah, totally. This guy makes people laugh. I'm not saying he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that. Uh, That's kind of his his approach. Depends on the personality of the room, I guess. Well, we can say that. Yeah. That's, yeah, but he's you're, diplomatic. You're a big believer in that, right? That the the person the, the room has kind of a personality. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We were talking about that with John Saint Godard, how. Everybody sort of collectively gets together and says, okay, we're only going this far tonight sort of yep. thing. Yep. There's vibes and audiences. Audiences are ingredients. Uh, you know, it's chemistry. Right. They're, the, they're the ingredients and they're a dish and uh, we get to consume it. Um, Interesting. Or spit it out, you know, one of the two. Um, some rooms you just really can't, you can't. You can't tolerate them, or you're you the drink that is served next to it, and neither fits the dish or Correct. clashes with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe that's way of exactly, at. and that that's a real thing. I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. It's like going to a restaurant and someone you're blindfolded, and someone just puts some food in front of you, and you just got to eat it. And uh, and you can't think about it too much, right? Yeah, you just got to go. You just got to shovel <laughs> shovel it in your face, <laughs> like. And sometimes it's going to work, and sometimes it won't. I guess. Yeah, totally. Do totally. you avoid um, like um, universities, college campuses, like? A lot of the the big names now, they just won't do it. Like Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, all these guys are like, nope, won't go. They're too sensitive. See, I was I was having this discussion with Chris and Jerry the other day about which gigs we should <laughs> should take, and uh, we we all agree that it's probably the best that I don't do college campuses. Um, <laughs> the pay isn't what it used to be, and yeah, they are a little sensitive. I mean, there's there's rooms where. I'm not a, in Montreal in particular. I'm just like, eh, I don't really need to do that room. I don't get anything out of it. Or uh, the people there, like, it's not, I'm not their cup of tea. Right. It's important to perform for those audiences, though, because if you can make them laugh, you start to understand how to make others laugh. You start to learn those common threads. Hmm. Um, so so I, I, I perform in most rooms. Um, We've seen you a couple of times and uh, your, your material doesn't seem uh, particularly cruel. That's not what I'm saying. No, but I do write. I do write some dark jokes, um, which I do at certain mics. I try them. The pattern is always follows. Whenever I do a good dark joke that I'm proud of, it does work the first time, 
and the next five, and I think this is gold. This is mm. going to hit everywhere. And the next five times I try it, I just get like those. Uh, <laughs> so you see the discomfort, and and I just, I you know, I, after five times, I'm just like, forget it. I don't know what to do with this anymore. Like, it's obviously a good joke. It got a huge reaction one time. Yeah. But maybe it's not what people want anymore. That's all there is to it. Were you in favor of the Mike Ward uh decision where he got fined by the no, human rights not at tribunal all. not at all do you think that's I mean, like a dangerous precedent of course it's a dangerous precedent yeah. like the, a lot of people didn't think that though i was i was surprised these people don't like comedy though right uh that's my opinion like he has a right to say it it's you know it's up it's up to people to decide if it's in good taste or not i do think that that kid was a public figure he was out there his parents trotted him out there uh, he just put out his own album, I think. Yeah, he's got a music. I mean, he's not shy. Album. He's yeah. not that shy. So for him to claim that, like, Mike, yeah, maybe some kids did pick on him as a result, but I don't think Mike Ward said, hey, I, I saw this this anonymous kid who's never been on TV who's paralyzed, and this is his name. Uh, let's just shit on him. Right. It was a kid who was very much like, I'm English. I'm an Anglo, and I had heard of this kid. I remember this kid saying for the Pope. And right. it made big news in Quebec. So, I mean. Yeah. I have a different, I mean, I personally have a different take on the subject. Right, yeah, it's true. Um, where I know that for a fact, like I read quite a bit about it, and I and this is not to say that I'm trumping all of your opinions on this, hmm. uh, because my perception might still be wrong. But uh, he kind of buttered his bread with very specific, targeted shitting on this kid's life for like something like three years. He went on a three or four year tour where this was the linchpin to his entire act, and I still don't support any sort of censorship of it but i do think it was unnecessarily cruel of him to go there and and cheap but then again i always found him to be kind of uh uh he, he's like it seems like a really cool guy but i always found that his material was always a little bit like uh he was going for that shock jock sort of thing and i get it you know it's a niche it's his thing uh and i think that he, i think that i'm not 100 percent on board with what he did but to the point of uh, dispensing like financial compensation that's where it doesn't make really sense to me like I don't equate I don't equate what he did to like a sum of money right because he didn't ruin anyone's career this kid had no career he he was a novelty he appealed to everyone's that same sort of sort of fake empathy that everyone has when they see the the Christmas so this is Christmas fucking ad with the Ethiopian kid with the flies around his head and then they're like oh god oh, oh, support this, here's some money, and then you never think about it again, right? So for people to actually act like they gave a flying fuck about uh, Jonathan, or what was, no, what's his name? Le Petit Jérémy. Jérémy, that's oh, it. That was it. To give, they, they give a fuck about Jérémy beyond the, the um, uh, you know, American Idol, or what is it? No, the X Factor, kind of like, you know, where they do that fake editing of everyone being like emotionally moved by some kid with one leg, singing an opera or whatever like all that shit that they manipulate on tv so beyond that i don't believe people's actual outrage that they they spewed on the you know the man on the street like it's horrible what they did to these people da, 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 da. he's a poor kid like i don't fuck them right mm. i think mike work was an asshole he knows he was an asshole he kind of cashed in on 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 punching down in the most in the most epic way that i've seen someone punch down in some time because he was making fun of a living breathing kid with fucking handicap and for that i think he should be commended as a free speech sort of like really really (laughs) writing the free speech dragon but at the same time you're an asshole but then just don't go see him correct support him Mm -hmm. do what you want 
But yeah. that doesn't mean he should be fined at all. Absolutely. Right? That right. part they can make their own decisions. That part doesn't make sense to me the same way that like, oh, you emotionally hurt me, give me two million dollars. Like that never made sense to right. me. Right. Yeah. But right. a that, fucking apology, yeah. I well, think he could have sued him. He didn't sue him. He took him to the fucking kangaroo court of the human rights tribunal. I don't know if he actually did that. That's the thing. It's not clear if that's he if if Jeremy made that move. There's the X factor of his parents, which were kind of a kind of a weird anomaly we're not sure if they're kind of like trying to cash in on their kid they're totally trying to cash in on their that kid. seems a perception but totally. I, i'm not sure i'm not 100 sure maybe they were trying to give him a quality of life uh i have a tremendous amount of empathy for people with that decide to raise handicapped children i think they're fucking hardcore because they're signing up for a life of hardship but what are they supposed to do well a lot, of, a, a lot of people ter terminate pregnancies when they know there's going to be problems. Okay, I thought you meant once he's born, it's like... Or they give him up for adoption <laughs> or whatever, right? A lot of people get rid of that. They don't... Somebody who decides to go all the way and love a kid that no one else is going to love, uh, to I, that comes with a certain respect, right, to me. And to see someone who not only tried to raise his kid, but kind of gave him like a hey you know what you you can do it too hey, fuck it do it man just go get it you want to do this jeremy do it so i'm 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 hesitant is what i'm saying in in passing judgment on the parents i certainly believe uh mike ward should have at least said i'm fucking sorry all right i'm here here you know you know what let me cut you a check okay i made money off of fucking trouncing you for three years here's a little something some i'll bring in the show we have a big laugh about it and we make a big like show of no hard feelings, whatever. I feel like the kid would have been open to that. So but do he, you, I need to. I need he to wanted to kill this. himself, but please address it. That's my point. Do you know people who have given birth to a child and then said, oh, it's kind of only got four toes. Let's just give it to someone else. That happens regularly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I guess I am naive about some things. Like oh, that happens all. all the time. Yeah. I, I don't know anyone who takes Who takes In, them? God knows. God knows. Uh, we don't have orphanages here, so... I don't know what happens to those kids. So I, I don't know what happens. But I know for a fact that even before the kid ever comes, because uh, I have two of them, there's a battery of tests that you go through with your with your uh, wife. And they kind of have all the genetic information ahead of time. And they're able to tell you pretty much if the he's going to be, uh, he's going to have Down syndrome or any major uh, like malformations. They're able to kind of tell you all this stuff already. Mm -hmm. uh, and even present you with the opportunity to, they probably have some clinical, like less offensive way of referring it to it than abortion, but you can like decline or fuck it. Out Termination. No, that would be too harsh. It was something like to defer. <laughs> but what's but what's the uh, opt out? You could opt out. Yeah, you don't have to have a handicapped kid anymore today. So, but what what's the line that uh, like what's the what's the the most egregious thing that someone could decide to I guess terminate pregnancy for? Like if they find out he's going to have like red hair like, yeah that's so we don't want that you know like that's not nah. that's not exactly <laughs> that would be pretty hardcore <laughs> shout out to steve <laughs> we're gonna raise him even though he's a ginger yes that's right and we should be we should get two million dollars because that's a brave thing <laughs> to raise a soulless child <laughs> but i mean so i see it kind of but that's always been me like i've always seen sort of the, both sides of the equation i've seen i despise and abhor hypocrisy and disingenuous reactions. So the same way that I kind of shit on everyone who did all this boo-hoo-hoo about like, please save save the poor Jeremy, you know, protect him. And uh, the human rights tribunal thing was 
hundred percent agree. It was like, what the fuck? You guys have bigger fish to fry than than this case. That entire entity shouldn't exist, in my opinion. The human rights tribunal? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's just like it's a kangaroo court. Okay, I want to hear your your take on I this. Don't, well, they're they're taking a bunch of people to like academics and stuff who are not like um, towing the the SJW kind of uh, narrative sort narrative, of thing. Yeah. yeah, if you say anything, then they can just kind of take you to this this court, and uh, it's free for anybody who wants to accuse someone. Uh, they can pull out at any point without any if it doesn't seem like it's going their way. Um, but as soon as you end up getting taken to the human rights tribunal, I mean, maybe not in Mike Ward's case, but like for academics or uh, people in the professional life, uh, just being called there is is ruin, ruins your life, right? Because then you spend months just like waiting and worrying about what's going to happen when you get there. They can fine you like immense amounts of money and then seize your property. Like You can seize property as well, a result of a judgment? Well, if you if you can't pay the hundred thousand dollar fine, oh, right, or whatever, right. then they'll take your house, they'll take your car, they'll take everything. They can bankrupt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll they'll auction it off, and Fucking if that's hell. not enough, they'll take more measures. Like this is serious stuff, and it's not. It's like there are they're legal. I think they're they're quasi legal professionals, but I mean they're they're also social justice advocates, right? So if you're not if you're not talking in exactly their language, like in they'll Robin you know, Hood your ass, yeah, 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 for sure. And and there's no burden of proof; they can just infer. Oh, I know, see. That, okay, like you didn't have to say anything that was racist. You, they just have to be able to. They have a feeling that your actions were somewhat motivated by it's a public, it's some a kind of like, public opinion court, essentially. Right, and it could be like uh, an unconscious bias or some some thought kind of, crime. Thought crime. That's exactly it. Word. Yeah. My friend recommended a documentary to me recently about Hitler. It was about Hitler's atrocities. But my friend, God love her, she couldn't think of the word atrocities. She tried to cover for a second. She went, ah, while she searched for a synonym. But it didn't come out right. She said, Gary, I saw this very interesting documentary about Hitler's shenanigans. shenanigans <laughs> not even close and as a Jew I'm obviously not overly sensitive but when people trivialize Hitler's monkey business <laughs> when the Nazis hijinks tomfoolery and ballyhoo is understated and I, I feel it does a disservice to the millions who were uh, inconvenienced <laughs> by Hitler's mischief so I'm going to throw something out there. I mean, if this doesn't actually inspire you, then we'll move on, right? So I'm, t- I'm completely open with this. But uh, this is what I've been reading, obsessing about this week, um, was the not so much the Trump election that I think has been done to death. There's still going to be plenty of things to say about it. But rather the sort of side story, um, which has been everything from weird conspiracies about Russians meddling with, with the election to uh, specifically what I focused on was this idea of the, the how it's put a spotlight on fake news, how it's exposed this kind of rampant, uh, not only amount of fake news and manipulation on the internet of information, but the staggering uh, 
uh, like lack of understanding of your average viewer of the internet of what is on that like they can't differentiate between what's uh, sponsored news to what's bunk to what's actually going on and I just wondered what you guys think about that it started with some of like the the onion stuff right right or people didn't know what was what was real what was fake and then you'd, you'd get like your mom would send out some link on Facebook <laughs> and then you have to be like mom no that's not real oh my god yeah, like Osama bin Laden is a cyborg. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then that was got a lot of attention. And then I think just clickbait has become such a huge deal, and there's tons of money in it too. So I think there's there's and particularly with the election, they they've talked a lot about how Facebook, like how you're, you can see like the side by side conservative and uh, liberal uh, Facebook feeds, and there's like a site where you can go and look, and it's the same stories, but they're just like leaning right or one leading leading leaning left and it's it's just this like echo chamber Tick of whatever tap. it is that you they think that you're going to want to click on and they make these like grand claims about like hillary clinton is in trouble again with the uh, emails or but like one side's going to be like ah they're trying to do their email thing again and then the other one's like ah she's at it again you've got like, her this yeah, time yeah exactly yes. but it's just to get you they, they make these fantastic claims and then you click on it and there's a bunch of like nothing there and i i think did you send it over to me there was these guys who were uh there was an interview with these guys who were just sitting in their room just making these like these clickbait articles that wasn't me no? sounds like a great gig yeah i mean well it's kind of soulless right because, i used to like, do this for fun with another kid in fourth grade in english class because right. we both were flu were bilingual so we didn't have to listen in english class so they let us do whatever we want in the back of the class and we would cut out pieces of the newspaper and make fake headlines f for fun to laugh right but i realized like that's essentially what these guys are doing professionally and getting paid to do yeah it was kind of sad it was kind of sad as like a statement on the current state of journalism because they were saying like in an ideal world i'd like to you know write an article that doesn't take that takes more than 20 minutes to write and i'd like it to have some facts in it or some kind of substance but you know, no one's going to read that. They just want this, like, easily consumed fast food kind of, like... Uh, it's super scary. Uh, Hillary Clinton is an alien kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, John? For me, the scarier thing is that uh, every... Even the mainstream media, quote-unquote, um, everyone's got a bias today. And the people at NBC think they're more self-righteous than the people working at Fox and vice versa. And... Uh, I just think that the bias is baked into absolutely everything that makes it on the air. Uh, conservative folks, obviously, for years have been watching Fox, and it's a ratings game. They just want to tell them what they want to hear. And I think at that point, uh, liberal, um, you know, more left-leaning people don't watch Fox. I don't really know what they're watching, uh, whether it's CNN or, or, or NBC. Young Turks. Sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but those people are telling those people what they want to hear. So I think... I think every news source is is it was always it probably always was biased. Clearly, yeah, Clearly. I shouldn't say probably. It, yeah, it, it everything's 100%. always been biased. That's fair. Nothing's been one hundred percent objective, but it's a question of how unobjective is a given source. I think right. that's how we. I choose to read mm -hmm. news sources that I feel, you know, they're not super. They're not. They're not totally dedicated to their position. Sometimes they'll concede some things. Yeah, right. it, it almost feels like, uh, again, I come back to the, like the voice or uh, X Factor or what, not X Factor, but um, um, that show where they buzz when something's not good. They exit out. It feels like there used to be a mechanism to kind of go like, okay, 
we've accepted a certain amount of bias, but this has now entered into ridiculous propaganda. And we're just going to like, I feel like there was, maybe I'm being revisionist, but there was somewhat of a consensus that there was such a thing as journalistic integrity. Uh, journalists held themselves to a certain kind of ideal. And certainly many abused that, uh, you know, because we ended up sort of fetishizing uh, or electing these like, purveyors of knowledge and news right like the walter cronkites and these guys kind of were the unimpeachable source of information and none of us really questioned whether these people had agendas but we've almost gone to the other extreme of that where like uh bloggers are challenging people with 30 40 years of on the boots on the ground experience and no one's stopping and saying hey hang on a second you're some fucking 25 year old kid who's always lived in the same city Hmm. And just reads a bunch of bullshit. Bullshit. This guy's been in like three wars. He's you know run with the buffaloes or whatever. And and while he may in fact have a bias, he or she um, may just are, is bringing it with somewhat of more of a credibility because has gone to see firsthand what's going on. Let's say in this in this particular environment, right? I would make the case that ju- like unbiased journalism is is kind of a fantasy. I don't think that there ever was that. But there's a difference, like like in sales, where you kind of tailor your message to your audience, like the whole like know your audience sort of thing. I think that's always kind of been the case, right? Like you're you're talk you you know your audience. You're talking to a particular audience. You're going to frame it in a certain way. But you'll you know the integrity comes in where you're maybe showing the other side, or at least making sure that the things that you're saying are true. Right now, it seems like it's a bit more manipulative that they're. They're talking to question st- marks constantly right that right. they're trying to create you know create things as opposed to like you know talk talk to an audience there's there's just so many more messengers today anyone, right. anyone could just be a messenger all you got to do is buy a messenger bag and you're a messenger at this yeah. point okay. yeah so back in the day snowball this, banks that's you it do whatever you want <laughs> that's it's like it. you think you're a podcast we're, right. we're purveyors of truths right here so <laughs> we know it right the listeners yeah. know it too yeah. they're all buying in and soon the three of us will be running Maybe your living room. I don't know. <laughs> then um, the world. <laughs> first your living room. Then well, actually, maybe the podcast, <laughs> I think maybe that's the attraction of the podcast is like you're not representing, at least we are not representing any kind of uh, agenda other than our own perceptions. And therefore, we don't pretend to any sort of righteousness or, or, or um, the fact that we are bringing you the real communication, the real transmission to to like expose all that malarkey that's going out there we're just saying what what regular people are saying like we believe in certain things we get up in arms about certain things that we think are controversial and we question pretty much everything else i think sure but at the end of the day you're doing it for a reason for sure yeah and so are newspapers right whatever that reason is yeah that they're 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 in business they're trying to make profits same Mm -hmm. with the tv you know network news uh, the, the large networks, I mean, they're all in business. They all have a reason. That's kind of where it went south, I think, maybe. Yeah. Well, but it's always been a business. When has, when has the media not well, been a business? Well, there was a time right. where it was accepted. Um, I mean, if, if you watch films like The Network and things like that, right? Like, there was a time before the 70s and 80s where, yes, it was run like a business, but it was accepted to be a, a losing business, that it was a cost to report the news. It was not a profitable uh, branch of any business ever until suddenly... They were acquired by conglomerates right, right. and we're like, why is section 9B not reporting profits? Well, because they're dedicated to the news and that means their profit is not their right. aim. And then that when that attitude changed, I think something went out with it. Um, at the same time, you know, we're looking at it negatively here, but 
I'm sure the non-initiated type of news also brought us kind of information we weren't getting before, right? What do you mean by non-initiated news? The, I, like Vice, I think maybe uh, is the quintessential example of that, um, where I remember them in the, during the Gulf War, where everyone was either leaning this way or that way. This is justified war. Or this is not a justified war. They were parachuting in cameras to Iraqis on the ground in Baghdad and getting them to film what was going on and send it back. You know, or we can think of the quote-unquote Arab Spring with the Twitter, with people giving us like live up to the minute, like this is happening, this here, unfiltered news, definitely some advantage, definitely something to that, I think, that we didn't have before. So it's not all bad. But now in the YouTube generation, we have this ability to pick, and the internet advertisers are certainly encouraging this, more and more information and content that is for us and what like echo chambery stuff like you're totally. saying yeah it's just it's hyper targeted towards you yeah right they know that this is this type of thing that you're going to either slow down on your facebook feed or click on to and they're just trying to and it escalates it right it escalates because i remember i like i started watching a couple of videos about like social justice gone mad yeah and but the first ones i watched weren't even like super controversial they were uh, almost uh, sober debates between intellectuals, religious people, and just having like a forum. Then your entire feed is just like SJW fail compilation, compilation number, number. two hundred exactly. <laughs> you won't believe what this fucking person said. <laughs> right? They're not feeding me other uh, like sober conversations about these topics. They're feeding me right, going right for the like tabloid. Well, the idea with stuff. Facebook, and I think we talked about this in like I think it was episode one or two. Is that they're trying to serve you sticky content, you know? Right. So that, and it's, they're just getting very sophisticated at that. I just see a real danger in it, is what I'm saying. I'm seeing a real danger in it for my for my kids. I see a real danger in us not producing a video series called Social Justice Warriors Gone Wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we will get filthy rich if we start do combining this. it. That's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. Exactly. Just, yeah. you know, those people who are just protesting like mad. And just complaining and, and just standing up and yelling that this isn't right. This is this is cultural appropriation. But naked. Yeah, drunk. Yeah, exactly. So I've had enough of this. We're let's, not getting anywhere. Let's just party. Let's grab the social justice people, bring them to Mardi Gras, yeah. and let the fucking well, a lot of them are already topless. Roll. So you can you could do that if you want. That's true. To. <laughs> but you're not allowed to take any pleasure. In it. Right. Exactly. That would be wrong. That would be wrong. I just uh, I I mean it's just a really I feel like we're finally dealing with the. This is the great, will be known as the great adjustment period of the internet. Like we've had internet for a couple of years now. Right. And we think we've adapt, adapted to it. But I think now is where we're really feeling the shock of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there was there was definitely like a freedom that was sensed. Like Finally. A- after everybody, like yeah. blogs started to take off and everybody could have a voice. And now we're seeing what, what happens when everybody can have a voice. Tribal. Like damn, damn democracy and free speech. Yeah. <laughs> Tribal uh, politics so, coming back. The Soviet, Soviet Union had it right. Yeah. Just, just clam everyone up and have one voice and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and despite having access to pretty much everything that's ever happened in history now, people strangely idealizing and, and, and regrouping into old ideologies that have failed again and again. Hmm. But they thinking that this is the answer now to solve all this chaos because that's what happens with people, right? Sort of like '90s fashion. Like '90s fashion. <laughs> so they're regrouping and they're just like there we, was something we to want that. this again. Yeah. Little do they nice know, 
<laughs> exactly. Little do they know. Nice comment. Yeah. Little do they know that all, all the '90s were were like every other age were just confusion and kind of going with it. And there was this one cool band that did this thing, so we all cut our hair that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was no strong, deep rooted human story and like political movement behind Nirvana. No. They were just a bunch of fucking drug addicts. And sweaters. <laughs> you <see it> sweaters. <laughs> yeah. Sweaters. Yeah. Who wrote? And, they were very cold. And dresses. And yeah, he wrote. Really who cold. wrote compelling music? <laughs> And somehow, you know, touched a nerve with the with malaise of its time or whatever. Right? Even now, I'm making it sound more fan- fancy than it actually. I was malaise. so un- I was so uncool that I just didn't understand Nirvana. I'm like, why is like why is he so like angry about something? Like, what's going on? Who are these girls in the gym? Like, who are these cheerleaders? Like, what's he saying? It's the grimiest gymnasium I've ever seen. Like, this looks like a terrible high school dance. Like, I thought you had to have a voice to sing. I thought you had to know how to play. Your, yeah, it's just unsanitary. What's happened to the janitor? <laughs> it was, and it was the first time I felt like it was my dad because I said, I don't understand what he's saying. Like, I don't understand a word of what he's saying. Like, what's he talking right. about? Yeah. He's so angsty. He's it's funny because that's what rap's going through now. It's going through its Nirvana stage <laughs> where rappers are mumbling on purpose oh. and being mm. comprehensible or not even rhyming, just being post, post-modern post about it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Rhyming's done, man. Yeah, man. That's so old school. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring this up. Um, so you're a comic. You run a show. Tell us about your show. Yeah, so I've been running this show. Uh, it's pretty unique. It's in a bar beneath uh, a hostel in the village. It's at a place called M Bar, which is uh, below the M Montreal Hostel. May as well just chuck out that address. Yeah. It's 1245 Rue Saint-André. It happens every Sunday night at about 8.15. And uh, I've been running it for four years, and it's a showcase, um, meaning that I, I choose the comics. Uh, I'm very particular as I've described to you over a Facebook post uh, <laughs> about who I want on stage. But it's not so much like we need Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock, my colleagues in comedy up there. They're good, good friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're close. We're tight. We're going uh, We're going to Vegas next week, yeah. actually. Uh, we just, just want to make sure that... Um, you know that the audience sometimes can be a little sensitive. They are travelers. They're a little. They're, they have that empathy. Uh, I just want to make sure that they're not. We're also in their home. We're also in their temporary residence. They just come downstairs. They watch the show. We get people from the outside too. It's and such a unique environment. Yeah, it totally is. And uh, you get people from from everywhere. And uh, we just want to make sure that we give them a good time. We also owe it to the people who let us do that show there to give their guests a good time. So it takes certain comics who entertain them. They're sometimes a little skeptical about the show. They're like, what is this this comedy night? Like the, the hostel used to tell the guests that it's comedy night. Whereas like I always had a brand for what I was up to. We were always comedy abroad or before that we were comedy hostel. And like I had a logo and stuff and like I'm like, show it to them, make it, make it seem like it's professional. And they just write on the chalkboard like, Soirée du comédie, comedy night. Some haha tonight. On fait le knock-knock joke pour les touristes. And I'm just like, no, it's not knock-knock jokes. It's, And I think there was a lot of skepticism, but uh, we, we've kind of put a few things in place. The staff is really on board. They totally promote the show. And people come down to the bar and are pretty excited for it. So we, we've kind of made the crowd very excited to be it's there. It's a great idea. I mean, if, yeah. I, if I'm traveling, and that sounds like exactly the kind of way that I want to get a get a taste of of the the city i'm in of also unwinding a little bit moving past a little bit of that anxiety of being somewhere i'm not familiar with uh that's something i think anyone can relate to a little comedy uh, i i see it as a kind of it's kind of like 
a no-brainer, but at the same time, I would have never thought of doing that in a hostel. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I traveled a lot in my 30s, and like I just sort of saw this environment before me. I'm like, once I started doing kind of like, oh, that would be cool. Do you get like foreigners coming up to you after? Like, I thought that joke about this dog was very funny. Yes. <laughs> I like your generic East European <laughs> accent. I'm not even sure what that was. I couldn't place where it was. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was like, it was not quite Borat, but it was in that spirit. It was a cumulative... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was everyone. That way I can't be targeted. It was a concoction of many different anti-Semitic cultures. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're, you're from Transylvania, so you're allowed right, Correct. to make the accent. Apparently. The accent. I don't know how much leeway that gives me, but uh, there it is. But so does that happen? Because that always yeah. fascinated me how uh, humor is pervasive everywhere. Certain things, I think, like things like uh, Just for Laughs gags has proven that there are universal things that we all find funny. Sadly. <laughs> right? There's just some things. But, I mean, it's fascinating. Whether you think it's good comedy or not, it's fascinating to see the mistaken identity, the prank kind of being a very universal concept. But have you ever had interesting encounters with uh, people afterwards? You know what? Nothing springs to mind if you really want to know the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some people come up to us and they want to know about performing. Uh, people from Australia, people from London, America, like wherever. Uh, they, they, oh, I'm thinking about trying that. Like, like, and sometimes before the show, they're like, "Hey, can I just get on stage?" I'm like, "It's not how this works." Uh, <laughs> we, we had, we had someone come in recently, and he wanted to get on stage and do the aristocrats joke, and it took a lot of explaining that, like, no, that's not really what we're up to here. Like, yeah. we're, we're kind of doing this a little more seriously and we do our own jokes mm-hmm. and it took a little bit of bopping over the head to make him understand that that would not be possible like he wanted scene. to do comedy karaoke essentially correct exactly yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i have a joke about that actually cover, okay cover cover comedy cover comedy yeah and uh yeah we get a lot of people coming up to the show after the show we have we have a, a, a sort of a scrapbook that we've bought and uh we asked the uh, the audience members to review the show. Like, just tell us who you are, where you're from. Let us know your thoughts about the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, they write all kinds of amazing things in there. Like, one guy said, I've, I've come from England. This is way funnier than any shit I've seen on British TV. And right. uh, we, we have some really amazing comments in that book. And we got to post a bunch of them online. That's a great idea. That's, like that's a book you publish. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's right? just uh, one of these days we're, we're going to do that. Well, that's great because, I mean, depending on the culture that a person comes from, you know, they may negatively or positively react to something that is so different from theirs like i could think of um uh, i remember talking to a guy from the emirates right and um he was they were incredibly like solemn and respectful of their leaders so it's a definite no-no to like go like hey what's the sheik up to you know like you don't go after the royal family if anyone dies in the royal family, even though you've never seen them and will never see them, you mourn along with the rest of the nation if they lose anybody because it's like losing a part of your family, right? And these are like interesting, but from a comedic perspective, they either hate or fucking love to come to a country where the the most powerful people in the land are fair game, right? Like, And you see that in Scandinavian countries where they tend to be easygoing but it's also very national not there's a national pride and you don't poke fun of like the medical system or at the police they are to be respected and they are to be admired and then to come to a country where like yeah fuck the president they're like oh my god this is great this is fucking great (laughs) we would never nobody would dare do this back home and they love it they eat it up you know Mm -hmm. so i just it's almost like the comedy is like the uh, like ambassadorial language, I would assume, 
in certain ways. We get some ambassadors in the audience from other countries, mm -hmm. uh, like Australia, Ireland, uh, the UK, occasionally, uh, as I like to refer to them, uh, as the drunk countries. Um, <laughs> they, they, they have a different comedy, stand-up comedy culture there, where, especially I think in Australia, they like, they like to try and tear down the comic. They like to heckle hard. Mm. And uh, it's not a big thing in North America. Like, we have hecklers, no doubt. But, but it's an occurrence when it when it, somebody engages the comic, right? Right. It's kind of an event. And the heckler wants to be taken down. The heckler, but but to be honest, like most comics at my show, they're just working on their stuff. They're not there to deal with hecklers. Like it's not what they're there for. So we've had a few weird incidents over the years where it's typically an Australian. We had one Toronto dude who was so drunk. He was in a onesie and he bought shots and he brought the shots up on stage. In and, a onesie. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, Jacob Sturski, local comic, like, tore this guy apart and that was great um we had we've had some australians we once had an irish guy who was a little much uh uh yeah but overall like it's a pretty well-behaved bunch and it's great and they're, they're very respectful um and they have a lot of empathy which is nice but sometimes horrible when you want to tell a dark joke when you want to go far <laughs> yeah, too far yeah yeah uh, are you at all comfortable uh discussing your vetting process or is that something that's kind of you keep close to the chest keep it so close to the chest yeah. uh my vetting process is if you get funny and you're confident if, you, if you're getting laughs you can do the show and oh, it's not and it's not it's pretty good yeah and you're not you're not offending people in a horrible awful way um but yeah if you're getting laughs around town for different audiences and i just think you're funny then you can do it I, was, I guess i guess i guess less than trying to like get the inside scoop on you and you, what you do behind the closed doors oh uh -huh. so now we're getting down to it <laughs> less than doing that i'm more interested in like okay so uh somebody sees this episode online and says oh com comedy comedian i want to do this stuff or i've started or i'm into this and and you know they have aspirations to maybe do your show one day you know um, tips are, do, are there things that you, you you look for or there's things that you think that a comedian should should foster uh, out of your experience I mean just go work at comedy go fail a bunch of times and figure it out and if you're not figuring it out then you're not going to be good anyway okay so uh, just get out there just get out there go do it fail we all have to fail uh, I'll toss a joke out there four or five times and it's it gets something, but I know it's not getting pushed over the goal line yet. But if I believe in it, I'll keep at it. And eventually it gets there if it's really good. And I'm working at it. Uh, I've dropped things, like I told you, like I said earlier, that have killed the first time. Another four or five times, it's gone nowhere. And I'm just like, forget it. I'm not I'm not bothering with this anymore. Uh, but, but if you just want to get on a show, and sh there was one guy who came up to me. He's done some internet videos, and they're not bad. Uh, but he one day I had... I had a comic we mentioned on this podcast so far uh, on my show in the room was packed there was like 95 people there he comes up to me and I'd seen him one other two two other times on stage he just kind of grabs me and goes hey can I get five minutes I looked at him I said no not at all like we have a full room you don't do comedy and I have a full lineup of, com of comics like there's no way like why would I give you five minutes it doesn't make any sense right and uh, people just gotta they could, I hate to say it like I pay dues. Everyone's got like because I'm really so far ahead in comedy right now. Just, just <laughs> no, destroy. But to a certain degree, you you you've given the craft your dedication and your hard work and your sweat, and that that I think is what you mean by paying your dues, right? Like you've yeah, engaged it. I mean you just got to go do the shitty rooms. You gotta you gotta learn from it. You gotta put your five minutes together. You gotta put your seven. You gotta put your ten. Your fifteen. And uh, I mean in Montreal, that's that's a good start. I yeah. think that's a great start. No one's expecting you to deliver. 
45 minutes of material in your first mm -hmm. two years. In your first two years, you can get to 15 minutes of quality material. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed when I see an hour and I see guys pumping in another hour and another hour. Like, you know, I'm working my ways up to like 10 minutes now or seven or whatever. And, and um, work your way towards five. Just work your way towards exactly. five tight minutes. That's that's what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you definitely see, I mean, we went to a, a show that was a complete... Uh, shit show in terms of a, as an event uh -huh. very recently but we still liked it because we kind of it, we kind of got to see the character of the people going up right right with an almost completely empty room I'm down curious on a shitty night <laughs> uh, everything kind of went wrong as far as the the the, the venue but uh, it was very interesting sort of insight I think I don't know if it was for you yeah yeah to sure. see who kind of like got brought down by it and who was like I don't care if there's a chicken in this room I'm I'm just I'm performing like I'm in Vegas oh absolutely yeah. and that's that's part of paying your dues just yeah. being able to suck it up buttercup and just deal with it right May, if there's two people there don't crap on them they're there make them laugh uh, do your best anyway try and be nice to them give them a good time make them want to come back yeah. um, that was that was what happened there it was like basically the two of us were the audience oh, okay. almost the entire show almost oh, that's the entire hard. show that's yeah. so hard that's so hard it was very uncomfortable for us but at the same time we weren't uninitiated to comedy clubs so we were like just we took it and we tried to give the com the comics something to work with not like laughing at their jokes when they weren't funny but we're attentive at least i try to be like friendly eyes at least yeah but it's it's hard sometimes like that you don't know how how to make it better for them when they're asking questions that they don't want answers to, like, do you answer the question? Yeah. Like, have you ever done this? Especially like, if you have something no. funny to say. I hate to yeah. say it, it's not your job to make I it know. better for them. <laughs> I know, but I feel bad, you know? It's that empathy thing, right? Yeah, yeah you're, too, you're, too sweet to be a, you're too sweet to be an audience member. <laughs> I sometimes think of something... I, I tend to think of funny things to say back, but I'm like, no, shut the fuck up. This is his show. Don't, don't do that. And then, like, I think the best thing you can do is just give your undivided attention. Right. Yeah. Don't fuck around with your phone. And no matter what, how badly he's scorching out there, just fucking have the, be a man or be an individual and give that person your attention. If they're being offensive and they are like completely off the rails, then I think you have certain license to kind of turn away and be like, all right, I'm done with you. But anyone that steps up there has a certain amount of respect from me anyway. For sure. For sure. Because it's not, it's, uh, you, you know, you're putting your shit out there. It's, it's not a surefire thing. You don't even have a guitar to kind of maybe try to, you know, Play some familiar riffs, and you maybe can just uncomfortably move the the mic stand back and forth, <laughs> fidget back and forth with the stool and the goddamn mic stand. Well, there's 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 nothing. It's just you up there. It's just you and a mic stand. That's yeah. it. And uh, you know, as the arbiter of comedy, um, I forget what I was going to say. I just was dying to say, as the arbiter of comedy, because I was telling you, you got to get your five. You got to get your seven. That's <laughs> the big industry guy here. Yeah, uh, I forget what I was going to say. That's probably we can edit something yeah. profound in there. Yeah, know. exactly. We'll, we'll find we'll it. We'll record it later. And yeah, yeah. Insert it. I just want to always want to say as the arbiter of comedy in a very sarcastic <laughs> way. Um, God's plan. <laughs> yeah. No, I forget what I was going to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, there's so many different types of rooms and environments in which I've done comedy since I started. You've done the high energy popping crowd. You've done the the weird, sparsely populated room that has 20 people, but like they're all sitting far apart. Uh, so there's pockets of nothingness happening. I've, I've had like the, the the people sitting all the way at the back, and they were f they're just too scared to come the f first five row for right. five tables up. They want to get any of the extra yeah. They just they like judging you from far away. Like they just they're the worst. <laughs> I, I I totally I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that can do quality crowd work, which I think is what the 
Yep. The nomenclature. That is. But I never um, I never was drawn to it. I always saw it as a kind of, um, I mean, if you master it, if you're good, no problem. Like a guy like Russell Peters, for instance, like he's very good at it. There's some guys that are just really good at it. But I just feel like starting off with that, like it's just not my, I saw a guy do an entire series of just crowd work. And I just thought, I was like, I don't, this doesn't feel like comedy to me. This feels like you're just kind of doing a weird participation thing. But again, I don't want to judge it because uh, Carrot Top was constantly the butt of jokes. I've actually like watched a show and laughed. Yeah, sure. Comedy is like just your job is to make people laugh. It doesn't matter how yeah. you do it. I'm like, this is completely fucking ridiculous. This guy, it looks like he's from another planet now. He's massacred his face. He's got weird muscles now. He's just like this quintessential L.A anomaly looking dude and you're like this w- i'm fully prepared and not to laugh and to ridicule this guy and it looks like it's the stuff of nightmares the stuff of nightmares yeah <laughs> and then you True. realize he's he can be hilarious hmm. he can be absolutely fucking hilarious and he gets booked for a reason because somehow he makes this shit work hmm. you know so i don't look down on it i'm just i just feel like i don't know i mean it's very new to me this whole thing so okay so you run this you run this room and do you want to talk about your other project? Yeah, it's a, it's a beast. It consumes all my time. So I have a crowdfunding campaign. We're trying to raise $35,000 US. Uh, I've done, for the last two years, I brought stand-up comedians down to, uh, to Central America, to Costa Rica and Nicaragua. We partner up with nonprofits there in kind of popular tourist destinations who are helping out with education, enhancing social conditions and healthcare. And comedians perform stand-up comedy fundraisers for, uh, like I said, expatriates and, and tourists who the are... The show has a name? Well, our, we're, as a brand, we're called Comedy Abroad. It's the same comedy as... Comedy Abroad. Yeah, and we're okay. really just comedy and travel. Like, I, as a big tra- I'm a big travel fan. It's very interesting because it's got this, like, sort of... Uh, it brings together the leisure and the kind of, like, the glamour of, like, traveling, but also for, like, a, like a good cause. Yeah, I mean, there's, de- we, you know, there's definitely a whole social impact side to it. So in our first two tours, we raised over 18,000 U.S. for four nonprofits in Central America. I've decided to get really ambitious this year. I kind of started planning uh, this tour the moment I got back from our last tour because it has a big philanthropic angle. But at the end of the day, the comedians aren't making money. They're actually losing money on these tours. We, we used to get paid some stipends. We still do from one big nonprofit we're working with, but the rest, we, we're not guaranteed anything. So It's a labor of love. It is, but but really what we want to do is we want to film everything on our next tour. So uh, I've teamed up with uh, a guy named Anthony Imperioli, who has the popular Nona Maria series, uh, if, if we have any Italian listeners. Uh, they don't know who Nona Maria is. I don't know where they've been living, but... Uh, it's you know, big. It's pretty big. It's like they, they've been doing this for seven years. The videos are really funny. I'm not Italian. Uh, I laugh really hard. So he's he's an awesome uh, little filmmaker and editor. And uh, I have different comics coming on each leg of the tour because it's hard for people to stay away for February and March. So in February, we're going to Costa Rica and Nicaragua for about 10 shows uh, to benefit several nonprofits, four in total. Then we're going into Mexico in March, and a whole new bunch of comics are going to join me and Anthony. And um, we're going to be doing about 10 shows for two nonprofits, one of whom is a, is a large nonprofit that's in about 19 Latin American countries. And that's pretty cool. And they're called Techo. 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 T-C-H-O. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to post all the links. Absolutely. What uh, 
what uh, uh, f- uh, platform are you raising this uh, money on? We're on a we're on a platform called StartSomeGood.com. Start Some Good, okay. which is for nonprofits and social enterprises. We are not a nonprofit. We we're, we're a social enterprise. We 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 want to film everything. We want to uh, put our content out there and, and you know start to develop a, a little bit of a business model around that. So uh, we got to raise funds to, to take care of the comics so they don't reach into their pockets. Allows the nonprofits to keep a higher percentage of the ticket revenues. And, you're making uh, people laugh. Yeah, we're making people laugh. It's helping. It's get, it's just we're basically like the Robin Hoods of comedy. We're taking from kind of a privileged bunch who are in a in a place that has some need. They're laughing and transferring some wealth o- uh, over to the community that way to, to kind of improve a lot of life for kids, basically. But unlike Robin Hood, you're actually giving them something in the process apart from a fright and an arrow to the face. You're yeah, actually- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, actually, Robin Hood gave to the poor. You're bartering. Uh, you're bartering. You're we're, like, we're, tr- some laughs. We're, we're a conduit of wealth. Let's just call it okay. that. Fair uh, enough. And so um, so we're doing, like, a, like I said, 20 shows, three countries, Six nonprofits in total. Have you picked out your like uh, your heavy hitters? Have you have you you have your list of people that you're taking with you? How many comics? Yeah, I mean, I've taken Darren Henwood, a Montreal uh, comic who's just one of the funniest guys in town, top MCs especially. He's coming on one of the tours. Jason Hattrick's another guy who's coming on a tour. We have some comics from New York City coming. Uh, we have Travis Irvine who came on my tour last year. Uh, a guy named Courtney Fearington who's really funny, based out of New York. A girl named Jessica Watkins. A girl named. I should be calling yeah. all these people. No, shout out to the ladies, man. Yeah, we're exactly. Big, big supporters <laughs> of uh, uh, what what I like to call second wave. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Female comedians that are just like doing comedy. They're not yeah. doing female comedy. Just doing comedy. Yeah, and uh, we got a guy named John Bennett who came on the tour last year, and John tours all around the world uh, with his one man shows. This guy's like a he's a beast. He's just putting on one man storytelling comedy shows. He's not like your classic set of punchline guy. He's just a funny storyteller. And uh, he's from Australia. He he really has no fixed address at this point. He's just on the road constantly, and he's he's traveled. He's been to like fifty five countries, so he fits. That totally sounds like your ideal candidate for yeah, this thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's the team so far. There's a couple of other folks who will be coming on board, but uh, we need to you know dot some I's and cross some T's before I make those announcements. <laughs> and uh, in other words, I need them to Facebook and say I'm in. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's it's a very um, onerous burden, this crowdfunding thing, as we've discussed. Uh, I have had not had sleep, as evidenced by my uh, really hoarse voice. This is not how I normally sound. Uh, fire in the whole podcast, listeners. My voice is normally a little crisper, a little clearer. I'm talking a lot about this crowdfunding campaign, but uh, yeah, we're trying to raise thirty-five thousand dollars so the comics don't have to uh, to reach in their pockets, um, and that we can afford all the video production that we're looking to do. We need to buy a little equipment, and uh, it's it's the equivalent of like eight full-time bodies on the road for for seven weeks. So it's uh, it's an endeavor. It's a total endeavor, and cool. uh, I mean, we want to make it sustainable by putting out good videos and turning it uh, into something a little bit more than just. We want to raise money for nonprofits, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but I I you know unless someone wants to pay me a boatload of money, I can't do that. I got rent to pay too. Right. So uh, so all yeah. the people with boatloads of money. Yeah. <laughs> you got to check out this project. So while we are we are we're definitely helping out nonprofits uh, because the nonprofits can't afford to pay the comedians to be there, but there is an opportunity to raise money with live stand-up comedy. So that's what crowdfunding is kind of making up. Yeah, I see that. I see that. It makes sense to me. Um, yeah, cool. I invite anybody that's listening to, to at minimum, check it out. 
and to to maximum contribute if they several can, million dollars several <laughs> millions as many millions as they can uh if that means you have to you know get a divorce and uh, get some money out of your guy <laughs> do it it's for a good cause pull so a little uh, amber heard action <laughs> <laughs> so the best way to support, I guess, obviously, is to go on to visit the Start Some Good campaign that you've got going on, which we'll link in the description. Correct. It's start, startsomegood.com slash comedy abroad, all one word. Minimum cool. spread the word, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Follow us uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at comedy abroad. Facebook is a little trickier because of it. We're really MTL comedy hostile. Yeah. But if you just put in comedy abroad in the search um We'll we'll link to all that stuff. Yeah, thank you guys. Are you at all? I mean, uh, do you are you at all active on? Uh, <coughs> I, I mean, I've seen you on Twitter and stuff like that. Like, how much uh, energy do you normally uh, devote to interacting with people online? When I'm not running a crowdfunding yeah. campaign, when you're not, uh, I just like tossing things, funny thoughts on there, or, or the odd opinion. Like, I don't, I'm not always trying to be hilarious on Twitter, but sure. I do like crafting good jokes. Uh, it's kind of inviting. It, it's like a prompt, isn't it? Like Twitter almost has like a kind of an invite. It's like an invitation to like, ooh, 140 characters. Okay. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's like can I can I? It's it teaches you to be quick and brief with your thoughts mm-hmm. and your 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 punch. Okay, but so, do you like what it's doing for comedy? Do you like the the social media stuff? I mean, it's just part of things. It's not about like or not. Okay. I mean, uh, I do think it's unfortunate that that some people have um, become. There's one comic who's big and he got big on Twitter, but apparently his stand-up sucks. Right. So it's just not the same. Like it's okay to be funny on Twitter; it's great, but it mm. doesn't make you a great stand-up comic. Yeah, yeah. It's another. It's another world. Um, I, when uh, was there? Was there anything else you'd like us to plug? I'd, I'd love to plug. Yeah, the last thing I left out is really our site is comedyabroad.com, and you can mm-hmm. go there. Uh, if you can also learn about the nonprofits, both there and within the crowdfunding page. Uh, but we also have the weekly show lineup there. It comes out like every Friday. So every Sunday at Umbar, we have different comics, different hosts, different headliner. You'll see myself there every week, except when I'm in Central America and Mexico. And uh, it's a great place to go and just see what's happening at our weekly show and learn about the all this other international stuff that we're doing. Right on. Well, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank well, you guys. This was cause. great. No, John, thank you for coming out, man. Thank you, you so much. You took a chance. They right? can't see us shaking hands, but we're doing it. <laughs> we're yes, shaking we're hands. I did. I took a chance. <laughs> and, I feel validated. Uh, you'll definitely have to come back uh, awesome. a little bit down the line. I will do that. We can shoot the shit. Then you've lured me in to your <laughs> layer of politeness and kindness. That's right. Next time you guys can hammer me. <laughs> All right. That's what we'll do then. All right, man. We'll fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole.